section forty of english literature by william j long this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter nine continued samuel richardson sixteen eighty nine seventeen sixty one to richardson belongs the credit of writing the first modern novel he was the son of a london joiner who for economy's sake resided in some unknown town in derbyshire where samuel was born in sixteen eighty nine the boy received very little education but he had a natural talent for writing letters and even as a boy we find him frequently employed by working girls to write their love letters for them this early experience together with his fondness for the society of his dearest ladies rather than of men gave him that intimate knowledge of the hearts of sentimental and uneducated women which is manifest in all his works moreover he was a keen observer of manners and his surprisingly accurate descriptions often compel us to listen even when he is most tedious at seventeen years of age he went to london and learned the printer's trade which he followed to the end of his life when fifty years of age he had a small reputation as a writer of elegant epistles and this reputation led certain publishers to approach him with a proposal that he write a series of familiar letters which could be used as models by people unused to writing richardson gladly accepted the proposal and had the happy inspiration to make these letters tell the connected story of a girl's life defoe had told an adventure story of human life on a desert island but richardson would tell the story of a girl's inner life in the midst of english neighbors that sounds simple enough now but it marked an epoch in the history of literature like every other great and simple discovery it makes us wonder why someone had not thought of it before richardson's novels the result of richardson's inspiration was pamela or virtue rewarded an endless series of letters note these were not what the booksellers expected they wanted a handy letter writer something like a book of etiquette and it was published in seventeen forty one a few months after pamela End of note telling of the trials tribulations and the final happy marriage of a too sweet young maiden published in four volumes extending over the years seventeen forty and seventeen forty one its chief fame lies in the fact that it is our first novel in the modern sense aside from this important fact and viewed solely as a novel it is sentimental grandiloquent and wearisome its success at the time was enormous and richardson began another series of letters he could tell a story in no other way which occupied his leisure hours for the next six years the result was clarissa or the history of a young lady published in eight volumes in seventeen forty seven to seventeen forty eight this was another and somewhat better sentimental novel and it was received with immense enthusiasm 
of all richardson's heroines clarissa is the most human in her doubts and scruples of conscience and especially in her bitter grief and humiliation she is a real woman in marked contrast with the mechanical hero loveless who simply illustrates the author's inability to portray a man's character the dramatic element in this novel is strong and is increased by means of the letters which enable the reader to keep close to the characters of the story and to see life from their different viewpoints macaulay who was deeply impressed by clarissa is said to have made the remark that were the novel lost he could restore almost the whole of it from memory richardson now turned from his middle-class heroines and in five or six years completed another series of letters in which he attempted to tell the story of a man and an aristocrat the result was sir charles grandison seventeen fifty four a novel in seven volumes whose hero was intended to be a model of aristocratic manners and virtues for the middle-class people who largely constituted the novelist's readers for richardson who began in pamela with the purpose of teaching his hearers how to write ended with the deliberate purpose of teaching them how to live and in most of his work his chief object was in his own words to inculcate virtue and good deportment his novels therefore suffer as much from his purpose as from his own limitations notwithstanding his tedious moralizing and his other defects richardson in these three books gave something entirely new to the literary world and the world appreciated the gift this was the story of human life told from within and depending for its interest not on incident or adventure but on its truth to human nature reading his work is on the whole like examining the antiquated model of a stern-wheel steamer it is interesting for its undeveloped possibilities rather than for its achievement henry fielding seventeen o seven seventeen fifty four life judged by his ability alone fielding was the greatest of this new group of novel writers and one of the most artistic that our literature has produced he was born in east Stour, dorsetshire in seventeen o seven in contrast with richardson he was well educated having spent several years at the famous eton school and taken a degree in letters at the university of leyden in seventeen twenty eight moreover he had a deeper knowledge of life gained from his own varied and sometimes riotous experience for several years after returning from leyden he gained a precarious living by writing plays farces and buffoneries for the stage in seventeen thirty five he married an admirable woman of whom we have glimpses in two of his characters amelia and sophia western and lived extravagantly on her little fortune at east Stour. having used up all his money he returned to london and studied law gaining his living by occasional plays and by newspaper work for ten years or more little is definitely known of him save that he published his first novel joseph andrews in seventeen forty two and that he was made justice of the peace for westminster in seventeen forty eight 
the remaining years of his life in which his best novels were written were not given to literature but rather to his duties as magistrate and especially to breaking up the gangs of thieves and cutthroats which infested the streets of london after nightfall he died in lisbon whither he had gone for his health in seventeen fifty four and lies buried there in the english cemetery the pathetic account of his last journey together with an inkling of the generosity and kind-heartedness of the man notwithstanding the scandals and irregularities of his life are found in his last work the journal of a voyage to lisbon fielding's work fielding's first novel joseph andrews seventeen forty two was inspired by the success of pamela and began as a burlesque of the false sentimentality and the conventional virtues of richardson's heroine he took for his hero the alleged brother of pamela who was exposed to the same kind of temptations but who instead of being rewarded for his virtue was unceremoniously turned out of doors by his mistress there the burlesque ends the hero takes to the open road and fielding forgets all about pamela in telling the adventures of joseph and his companion parson adams unlike richardson who has no humor who minces words and moralizes and dotes on the sentimental woes of his heroines fielding is direct vigorous hilarious and coarse to the point of vulgarity he is full of animal spirits and he tells the story of a vagabond life not for the sake of moralizing like richardson or for emphasizing a forced repentance like defoe but simply because it interests him and his only concern is to laugh men out of their follies so his story though it abounds in unpleasant incidents generally leaves the reader with the strong impression of reality fielding's later novels are jonathan wilde the story of a rogue which suggests defoe's narrative the history of tom jones a foundling seventeen forty nine his best work and amelia seventeen fifty one the story of a good wife in contrast with an unworthy husband his strength in all these works is in the vigorous but coarse figures like those of jan steen's pictures which fill most of his pages his weakness is in lack of taste and in barrenness of imagination or invention which leads him to repeat his plots and incidents with slight variations in all his work sincerity is perhaps the most marked characteristic fielding likes virile men just as they are good and bad but detests shams of every sort his satire has none of swift's bitterness but is subtle as that of chaucer and good-natured as that of steele he never moralizes though some of his powerfully drawn scenes suggest a deeper moral lesson than anything in defoe or richardson he never judges even the worst of his characters without remembering his own frailty and tempering justice with mercy on the whole though much of his work is perhaps in bad taste and is too coarse for pleasant or profitable reading 
fielding must be regarded as an artist a very great artist in realistic fiction and the advanced student who reads him will probably concur in the judgment of a modern critic that by giving us genuine pictures of men and women of his own age without moralizing over their vices and virtues he became the real founder of the modern novel smollett and stern tobias smollett seventeen twenty one seventeen seventy one apparently tried to carry on fielding's work but he lacked fielding's genius as well as his humor and inherent kindness and so crowded his pages with the horrors and brutalities which are sometimes mistaken for realism smollett was a physician of eccentric manners and ferocious instincts who developed his unnatural peculiarities by going as a surgeon on a battleship where he seems to have picked up all the evils of the navy and of the medical profession to use later in his novels smollett's novels his three best-known works are roderick random seventeen forty eight a series of adventures related by the hero peregrine pickle seventeen fifty one in which he reflects with brutal directness the worst of his experiences at sea and humphrey clinker seventeen seventy one his last work recounting the mild adventures of a welsh family in a journey through england and scotland this last alone can be generally read without arousing the reader's profound disgust without any particular ability he models his novels on don quixote and the result is simply a series of coarse adventures which are characteristic of the picaresque novel of his age were it not for the fact that he unconsciously imitates johnson's every man in his humor he would hardly be named among our writers of fiction but in seizing upon some grotesque habit or peculiarity and making a character out of it such as commodore trunnion in peregrine pickle matthew bramble in humphrey clinker and bowling in roderick random he laid the foundation for that exaggeration in portraying human eccentricities which finds a climax in dickens caricatures lawrence stern seventeen thirteen seventeen sixty eight has been compared to a little bronze satyr of antiquity in whose hollow body exquisite odors were stored that is true so far as the satyr is concerned for a more weazened unlovely personality would be hard to find the only question in the comparison is in regard to the character of the odors and that is a matter of taste in his work he is the reverse of smollett the latter being given over to coarse vulgarities which are often mistaken for realism the former to whims and vagaries and sentimental tears which frequently only disguise a sneer at human grief and pity stern's work the two books by which stern is remembered are tristram shandy and a sentimental journey through france and italy these are termed novels for the simple reason that we know not what else to call them the former was begun in his own words with no real idea of how it was to turn out its nine volumes published at intervals from seventeen sixty to seventeen sixty seven proceed in the most aimless way recording the experiences of the eccentric shandy family and the book was never finished 
its strength lies chiefly in its brilliant style the most remarkable of the age and in its odd characters like uncle toby and corporal trim which with all their eccentricities are so humanized by the author's genius that they belong among the great creations of our literature the sentimental journey is a curious combination of fiction sketches of travel miscellaneous essays on odd subjects all marked by the same brilliancy of style and all stamped with sterne's false attitudes towards everything in life many of his best passages were either adapted or taken bodily from burton rabelais and a score of other writers so that in reading sterne one is never quite sure how much is his own work though the mark of his grotesque genius is on every page the first novelists and their work with the publication of goldsmith's vicar of wakefield in seventeen sixty six the first series of english novels came to a suitable close of this work with its abundance of homely sentiment clustering about the family life as the most sacred of anglo-saxon institutions we have already spoken if we accept robinson crusoe as an adventure story the vicar of wakefield is the only novel of the period which can be freely recommended to all readers as giving an excellent idea of the new literary type which was perhaps more remarkable for its promise than for its achievement in the short space of twenty-five years there suddenly appeared and flourished a new form of literature which influenced all europe for nearly a century and which still furnishes the largest part of our literary enjoyment each successive novelist brought some new element to the work as when fielding supplied animal vigor and humor to richardson's analysis of a human heart and sterne added brilliancy and goldsmith emphasized purity and the honest domestic sentiments which are still the greatest ruling force among men so these early workers were like men engaged in carving a perfect cameo from the reverse side one works the profile another the eyes a third the mouth and the fine lines of character and not till the work is finished and the cameo turned do we see the complete human face and read its meaning such in a parable is the story of the english novel summary of the eighteenth century the period we are studying is included between the english revolution of sixteen eighty eight and the beginning of the french revolution of seventeen eighty nine historically the period begins in a remarkable way by the adoption of the bill of rights in sixteen eighty nine this famous bill was the third and final step in the establishment of constitutional government the first step being the great charter twelve fifteen and the second the petition of right sixteen twenty eight the modern form of cabinet government was established in the reign of george the first seventeen fourteen seventeen twenty seven the foreign prestige of england was strengthened by the victories of marlborough on the continent in the war of the spanish succession and the bounds of empire were enormously increased by clive in india by cook in australia and the islands of the pacific and by english victories over the french in canada and the mississippi valley during the seven years or french and indian wars 
politically the country was divided into whigs and tories the former seeking greater liberty for the people the latter upholding the king against popular government the continued strife between these two political parties had a direct and generally a harmful influence on literature as many of the great writers were used by the whig or tory party to advance its own interests and to satirize its enemies notwithstanding this perpetual strife of parties the age is remarkable for the rapid social development which soon expressed itself in literature clubs and coffee-houses multiplied and the social life of these clubs resulted in better manners in a general feeling of toleration and especially in a kind of superficial elegance which showed itself in most of the prose and poetry of the period on the other hand the moral standard of the nation was very low bands of rowdies infested the city streets after nightfall bribery and corruption were the rule in politics and drunkenness was frightfully prevalent among all classes swift's degraded race of yahoos is a reflection of the degradation to be seen in multitudes of london saloons this low standard of morals emphasizes the importance of the great methodist revival under whitefield and wesley which began in the second quarter of the eighteenth century the literature of the century is remarkably complex but we may classify it all under three general heads the reign of so-called classicism the revival of romantic poetry and the beginning of the modern novel the first half of the century especially is an age of prose owing largely to the fact that the practical and social interests of the age demanded expression modern newspapers like the chronicle post and times and literary magazines like the tatler and spectator which began in this age greatly influenced the development of a serviceable prose style the poetry of the first half of the century as typified in pope was polished unimaginative formal and the closed couplet was in general use supplanting all other forms of verse both prose and poetry were too frequently satiric and satire does not tend to produce a high type of literature these tendencies in poetry were modified in the latter part of the century by the revival of romantic poetry in our study we have noted one the augustan or classic age the meaning of classicism the life and work of alexander pope the greatest poet of the age of jonathan swift the satirist of joseph addison the essayist of richard steele who was the original genius of the tatler and the spectator of samuel johnson who for nearly half a century was the dictator of english letters of james boswell who gave us the immortal life of johnson of edmund burke the greatest of english orators and of edward gibbon the historian famous for his decline and fall of the roman empire two the revival of romantic poetry the meaning of romanticism the life and work of thomas gray of oliver goldsmith famous as poet dramatist and novelist of william cowper of robert burns the greatest of scottish poets of william blake the mystic and the minor poets of the early romantic movement 
james thompson william collins george crabb james mcpherson author of the ossian poems thomas chatterton the boy who originated the rowley papers and thomas percy whose work for literature was to collect the old ballads which he called the relics of ancient english poetry and to translate the stories of norse mythology in his northern antiquities three the first english novelists the meaning and history of the modern novel the life and work of daniel defoe author of robinson crusoe who is hardly to be called a novelist but whom we placed among the pioneers and the novels of richardson fielding smollett stern and goldsmith suggestive questions one describe briefly the social development of the eighteenth century what effect did this have on literature what accounts for the prevalence of prose what influence did the first newspapers exert on life and literature how do the readers of this age compare with those of the age of elizabeth two how do you explain the fact that satire was largely used in both prose and poetry name the principal satires of the age what is the chief object of satire of literature how do the two objects conflict three what is the meaning of the term classicism as applied to the literature of this age did the classicism of johnson for instance have any relation to classic literature in its true sense why is this period called the augustan age why was shakespeare not regarded by this age as a classical writer four pope in what respect is pope a unique writer tell briefly the story of his life what are his principal works how does he reflect the critical spirit of his age what are the chief characteristics of his poetry what do you find to copy in his style what is lacking in his poetry compare his subjects with those of burns of tennyson or milton for instance how would chaucer or burns tell the story of the rape of the lock what similarity do you find between pope's poetry and addison's prose five swift what is the general character of swift's work name his chief satires what is there to copy in his style does he ever strive for ornament or effect in writing compare swift's gulliver's travels with defoe's robinson crusoe in style purpose of writing and interest what resemblances do you find in these two contemporary writers can you explain the continued popularity of gulliver's travels six addison and steele what great work did addison and steele do for literature make a brief comparison between these two men having in mind their purpose humor knowledge of life and human sympathy as shown for instance in number one twelve and number two of the spectator essays compare their humor with that of swift how is their work a preparation for the novel seven johnson for what is dr johnson famous in literature can you explain his great influence compare his style with that of swift or defoe what are the remarkable elements in boswell's life of johnson write a description of an imaginary meeting of johnson goldsmith and boswell in a coffee-house eight burke 
for what is burke remarkable what great objects influenced him in the three periods of his life why has he been called a romantic poet who speaks in prose compare his use of imagery with that of other writers of the period what is there to copy and what is there to avoid in his style can you trace the influence of burke's american speeches on later english politics what similarities do you find between burke and milton as revealed in their prose works nine gibbon for what is gibbon worthy to be remembered why does he mark an epoch in historical writing what is meant by the scientific method of writing history compare gibbon's style with that of johnson contrast it with that of swift and also with that of some modern historian parkman for example ten what is meant by the term romanticism what are its chief characteristics how does it differ from classicism illustrate the meaning from the work of gray cowper or burns can you explain the prevalence of melancholy in romanticism eleven gray what are the chief works of gray can you explain the continued popularity of his elegy what romantic elements are found in his poetry what resemblances and what differences do you find in the works of gray and of goldsmith twelve goldsmith tell the story of goldsmith's life what are his chief works show from the deserted village the romantic and the so-called classic elements in his work what great work did he do for the early novel in the vicar of wakefield can you explain the popularity of she stoops to conquer name some of goldsmith's characters who have found a permanent place in our literature what personal reminiscences have you noted in the traveller the deserted village and she stoops to conquer thirteen cowper describe cowper's the task how does it show the romantic spirit give passages from john gilpin to illustrate cowper's humour fourteen burns tell the story of burns life some one has said the measure of a man's sin is the difference between what he is and what he might be comment upon this with reference to burns what is the general character of his poetry why is he called the poet of common men what subjects does he choose for his poetry compare him in this respect with pope what elements in the poet's character are revealed in such poems as to a mouse and to a mountain daisy how do burns and gray regard nature what poems show his sympathy with the french revolution and with democracy read the cotter's saturday night and explain its enduring interest can you explain the secret of burns great popularity fifteen blake what are the characteristics of blake's poetry can you explain why blake though the greatest poetic genius of the age is so little appreciated sixteen percy in what respect did percy's relics influence the romantic movement what are the defects in his collection of ballads can you explain why such a crude poem as chevy chase should be popular with an age that delighted in pope's essay on man seventeen macpherson what is meant by macpherson's ocean can you account for the remarkable success of the oceanic forgeries eighteen chatterton tell the story of chatterton and the rowley poems 
read chatterton's bristow tragedy and compare it in style and interest with the old ballads like the battle of otterburn or the hunting of the cheviot all in manley's english poetry nineteen the first novelists what is meant by the modern novel how does it differ from the early romance and from the adventure story what are some of the precursors of the novel what was the purpose of stories modeled after don quixote what is the significance of pamela what elements did fielding add to the novel what good work did goldsmith's vicar of wakefield accomplish compare goldsmith in this respect with steele and addison chronology end of seventeenth and the eighteenth century history sixteen eighty nine william and mary seventeen hundred question mark beginning of london clubs seventeen o two anne death seventeen fourteen seventeen o four battle of blenheim seventeen o seven union of england and scotland seventeen fourteen george the first death seventeen twenty seven seventeen twenty one cabinet government walpole first prime minister seventeen twenty seven george the second death seventeen sixty seventeen thirty eight rise of methodism seventeen forty war of austrian succession seventeen forty six jacobite rebellion seventeen fifty seventeen fifty seven conquest of india seventeen fifty six war with france seventeen fifty nine wolf at quebec seventeen sixty george the third death eighteen twenty seventeen sixty five stamp act seventeen seventy three boston tea party seventeen seventy four howard's prison reforms seventeen seventy five american revolution seventeen seventy six declaration of independence seventeen eighty three treaty of paris seventeen eighty six trial of warren hastings seventeen eighty nine seventeen ninety nine french revolution seventeen ninety three war with france literature sixteen eighty three seventeen nineteen defoe's early writings bill of rights toleration act sixteen ninety five press made free war of spanish succession seventeen o two first daily newspaper seventeen o four addison's the campaign swift's tale of a tub seventeen o nine the tatler johnson born died seventeen eighty four seventeen ten seventeen thirteen swift in london journal to stella seventeen eleven the spectator seventeen twelve pope's rape of the lock seventeen nineteen robinson crusoe seventeen twenty six gulliver's travels seventeen twenty six seventeen thirty thompson's the seasons seventeen thirty two seventeen thirty four essay on man seventeen forty richardson's pamela 
1742 fielding's joseph andrews 1749 fielding's tom jones 1750 1752 johnson's the rambler 1751 gray's elegy 1755 johnson's dictionary 1760 1767 sterne's tristram shandy 1764 johnson's literary club 1765 percy's relics 1766 goldsmith's vicar of wakefield 1770 goldsmith's deserted village 1771 beginning of great newspapers 1774 1775 burke's american speeches 1776 1788 gibbons rome 1779 cowper's only hymns 1779 81 johnson's lives of the poets 1783 blake's poetical sketches 1785 cowper's the task the london times 1786 burns first poems the kilmarnock burns burke's warren hastings 1790 burke's french revolution 1791 boswell's life of johnson end of section forty end of chapter nine